Hey everyone, this is Women Who Travel, a podcast from Kindness Traveler. I'm back, I'm Meredith Carey, and with me is my co-host, Lolly Arakoglu. Hello. Who held down the fort while I was gone. And this week with us, we have like every director title at Kindness Traveler. So we have Rachel Coleman, our social media director. Hello. We have Alex Postman, our features director. Hi. And we have Laura <laughs> Redman, our deputy digital director. Yo. We need to get director added to our titles, I think. <laughs> well, also, it just shows that women really run the show at Traveler, which <laughs> yeah. makes me very true. happy. It's very true. Don't tell Brad. Yeah. <laughs> so this week, what we're talking about is study abroad. And I studied abroad twice, everyone else, with the exception of Lale. I uh, didn't. Studied abroad. No. But you studied in a foreign country. So technically... Also, no, it was a real lesson in how things work out in the end, because I did apply to go and study abroad to New York, and there were only two places, and I didn't get either of the two places and was so upset and so, so, so moping, moping around for a semester. And then of course I ended up moving here and getting to do everything I wanted. So my like 19 year old self can like calm down. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess I kind of want to ask how you guys picked the study abroad programs you went on and what you actually ended up doing. Laura, do you want to start? Sure. It was a million years ago and I was a sophomore in my spring semester. And I don't know if you guys felt this way, but I was an overcommitted sophomore. I, it was at the point where you were starting to take on lots of activities, extracurriculars. I think I was like president of the soccer team and like a sorority social chair and just too many things. Sophomore year, you hit full swing. You so hit full swing. that makes sense. On top of school. So <laughs> I freaked out a little and said, I want to get out of here, which I have a habit of doing. And in the course of like two weeks, I looked at whatever programs we had that were English speaking. So I I went to Princeton undergrad and we had relationships with different universities. And the two that I was looking at, one was in London and one was in Melbourne, Australia. I had never been abroad. No, I take that back. I went to Toronto with my family (laughs) as like an eight year old, but I had never been abroad by myself, done a long haul flight. And I went home like for a weekend. I said, I think I want to move to Australia in July. I've applied. And I, I'm, I'm already going. I'm already <laughs> <laughs> and that was kind of it. So my mom, dad, brother, grandma packed me up and got me to the airport. And I moved to Australia for six months and studied at the University of Melbourne in 2001. And Rachel, how about you? I studied abroad in Spain, in Seville, Sevilla, if you're in in Spain. (laughs) Or on a study abroad program. (laughs) Yes. Um, Unlike Laura and Meredith, I did not care about school at all. (laughs) And was uh, just having way too much fun my sophomore year. Um, But I was majoring in Spanish and really enjoying that. So I knew I wanted to go to a country where I could practice my language skills, which ended up being such a huge blessing because I went to Seville, ended up living with a Spanish host mother who didn't speak a word of English. So every day, my only conversations were in Spanish, which was like full um, inclusion into society, which was incredible. But unfortunately, since then, I've lost a lot of my skills since I I don't practice Spanish that much anymore. But going sophomore year, I I think was a incredible time because you're still just getting into the, the mood of college and once I came back, I felt reinvigorated and actually started caring more about school after that point, which was strange in some way. <laughs> yeah, you cut but yourself some slack, right? Yeah. You, get, you, get, you take a break and you yeah. see the world. And Maybe partied a little less when yeah. I got back. No. Yeah. <laughs> when I got back, my family didn't recognize me because I... All the alcohol had oh, changed me my, too. my face. My brother, the first thing he said to me was like, you gained weight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, little brother. 
Um, but since then, that really like has pushed this love of travel into my mind. So everything I'm doing these days is based on getting out and seeing the world because of this experience. And Alex, how about you? We When we were planning for this, Alex had messaged me and Lale kind of explaining her study abroad program. And it is unlike anything I've ever heard. So please, I'm giving you like the full floor oh, here. Yeah, right. Well, I went to India. And I did that because I'd always been a Francophile. And I thought, well, I'll go to France. And then it, it, it was also sophomore year. And I thought, that's just way too easy. I can always do that. And in fact, like Lale, I fulfilled my my 19-year-old self's wishes and ultimately moved to Paris in my early 20s for a couple of years. So anyway, I did want to do something kind of ambitious and crazy. I chose India because I had I was an English major, but I'd been taking some Eastern philosophy courses and um, Eastern art courses, and uh, I had enough of a academic interest to to think that it would be interesting. And this was a Buddhist studies program in particular, run through. I went to a small New England college, and we didn't have our own programs, but I did it through another university. So I would say one like note of caution is if you're going to choose a school that is not your own to study abroad with like make sure that it aligns with like your values and the kind of <laughs> the kind of school where you could picture yourself actually spending some time because their like their their values their like culture actually gets exported to wherever you're going to study so long story short very long story short it was a buddhist studies program in bodhgaya india and it was super hardcore. It was in, where is that? It's in Bihar, which is like in between Delhi and Calcutta. Okay, kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's like the Buddha. It's like Buddhist Disneyland. It's like every <laughs> Buddhist tradition, like Zen or like Thai Buddhism, has a temple there. It's where the Buddha reached enlightenment. So we were living in the Burmese temple, and it was like full on like meditation in the morning, meditation in the evening, and then learning Hindi and learning some ancient Sanskrit. And and my fellow students, some of them got so into that they sort of shaved their head like monks. And it was just, they were so much more serious than I was. I was so preoccupied with, you know, in India, if you've been there, they're often along the side of the road, tailors, like who have like a little shack set up with a with a sewing machine. And I was just like every day making a wardrobe for myself, <laughs> like designing, that's designing like, That's clothes. so anti-monastic of you. <laughs> well, and because I like to exercise and, you know, we're sitting, we're sitting on these pillows morning and night, like meditating. And I was so feeling so hyper. I would get on the roof of the monastery at night and like basically exercise, like do <laughs> just like run laps, do, like run laps, do aerobics, you know, and I was miserable. Um, and should I tell the whole story? What happened? I mean, I don't want to like ask okay. Wait, story. Can I ask a question? Yeah, yeah. All right. Were you allowed to do this kind of focused study as a sophomore or junior? Were you only taking Buddhism courses? Well, yeah, but there was language and there was history. And okay. so it was going to count for like a full semester. Co- semester course load. Yeah. It didn't in the end because I <laughs> left. Oh, you did? Oh. All right. Ooh, good well, setup. I hair intact. It just felt like I'm in this incredible huge country that I wanted to see. I want to travel. And so, well, this shows just how long ago it was. Let's just say it predated cell phones. I left in the middle of the night. I left a note. I left <laughs> a note and said, I I can't stand this anymore. I'm leaving. <laughs> and I even left most of my stuff and I took a like a small backpack 
I took a rickshaw in the middle of the night to the train station and got on the train and went to New Delhi. And then I went to up to Darmsla and then I went down to Kerala and then I went to Madras and I traveled all over and had the, like the trip that I really wanted, which wasn't to like stay in a monastery and study my, Buddhism. You are my hero. <laughs> that is yeah. the ballsiest thing I've ever heard. You well, were 19. At what point did you call your parents? Well, so because <laughs> it was before cell phones and probably an era when like academically it, these programs were just less responsible i'm not sure anyone alerted my parents to my absence <laughs> but i would say like a couple of weeks later i was in new delhi and at the time in order to make a phone call this was true in europe too um you had to go like you could either use a payphone or you could go to the post office and place a phone call and they would tell you when to come back so it was like you know three hours later i came back and got on the phone with my mother and explained what happened and then i said and i met this really nice guy <laughs> who's who I'm going to travel with you know and she's thinking like oh my you know um but I said it's all okay and I'll be home you know it was like I was going to stick it out through the end of December and so I did so I feel like my big mistake there was just not paying close enough attention to like not just the focus of the program but just the university that I was going to go with and who else might be interested in it so I just didn't do my research I just thought oh it's gonna be a fun adventure and Really it ended up it. being a fun adventure, yeah. though. <laughs> I assume you wouldn't, like, take back that time in India. No, no, no. I mean, incredibly formative. Very hard to travel alone as a woman that back then, let alone today, in a, in a way. Just, um, just the, the cultural differences, and you just don't want to, like, wear, you know, tank tops and short shorts and be respectful. And, but um, I really came back feeling like I could do anything, you know? It felt like it was such a test of my mettle um, and getting around and sleeping in train stations when the train didn't show up on time and, and all that stuff that makes you feel like, oh, my God, I survived. That was awesome. Well, and I think that separate from just like, you know, going away to college, going away, regardless of whether you're on your own or you're with a program, like you're already automatically putting yourself so far outside of your comfort zone that those experiences are going to happen to you as long as you go outside. You know what I mean? Like those, okay, I've got to figure this out for my own and I don't have like my friends or a lot of English speakers or, you know, the like my usual map of where things are, whatever it is to go off of because I'm in this new place. I don't know anyone for the most part and I got to figure it out. And for a lot of people, it's the first time that that happens. Right. I think for most of us, it did inspire a love of travel, right? I think we were talking about that a little bit even before this trip, and Rach, you said it just in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I admire how maybe the word is reckless I was back when I was 20 and really willing to do any sort of adventure um, and not think about the potential consequences. Like, I remember one time we went to Barcelona for the weekend, and all the trains were down for the evening, so we didn't want to pay for a taxi, so we made a friend at the airport and he drove us to our hostel which in retrospect looking back <laughs> I was crazy to ever do that but we actually ended up making friends with the guy and uh, now we're Facebook friends which is That's always a fun story <laughs> I love but, those like random Facebook friends you have from yeah. like tra 20 years ago yeah well yeah. The, the freedom is intoxicating too to a degree like you're saying you you got a rickshaw in the middle of the night you made a friend at an airport and got a ride like I did this 10 day, it, literally it was called Extreme Adventure <laughs> with 40 other Americans, I think every other American that was studying in Melbourne at the time. And in one day alone, I went skydiving in the morning and bungee jumping in the afternoon. Wow. 
So, and the day before. Not enough adrenaline. <laughs> no, That's literally my worst day. None of that sounds appealing. And the people who didn't were just getting drunk in the afternoon. That would be me. <laughs> but I remember um, I didn't tell my folks until like, I think I got home. And, but I had a VHS tape of me bungee jumping <laughs> and I kind of handed it to them and said I did something in Australia. But I mean, you, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that again. I wouldn't do that now. Would I have done that as a 20 year old in New Jersey? No. <laughs> but I think, I think for me, it, so I did kind of a, an odd yeah, alternative program. Um, I did semester at sea, so we hit like 15 countries in four months on a very small, it's like not a booze cruise, a very small cruise ship that has about 400 students from all over the world on it. And you take classes as you are on the ship, and then you have like free reign when you get off. Um, so you're there from like two to eight days on land. And for me, it was like the first time that I could do those crazy things and like totally make decisions that I probably shouldn't have now. And it set me up in the future for being able to make those decisions more effectively, I guess, or more responsibly, because I've told this story in part before, but a friend and I were kind of sick and tired of everyone on the ship by the time we got to Morocco and decided to break off from everyone and go to Rabat. We had no plan. We had bought a Morocco Lonely Planet guidebook in the last English-speaking country we had been in um, and had circled some things but had nothing planned. Um, ended up at the Rabat bus station at 2 o'clock in the morning with the entire homeless population of Rabat. It was the only time I texted my mom my location at, at any point in those four <laughs> months just to be like, hey, this is where I am. Don't freak out. We're just going to let you know. But ended up also like making friends there who helped us get to Chef Shawan. We almost missed the you know, ship back because we got stuck in a sheep market in the bus. <laughs> um, but I think those memories of being like, oh my gosh, like what am I doing are some of my absolute favorite looking back. But it's also exhilarating to right. look back and like that you survived that and exactly. you actually had the presence of mind to make certain decisions to bail <laughs> yourself out, you know? Which, which looking back, I'm like, I was like, I was 20 which like isn't really that long ago, but also like I feel like such a different person now and I travel in a way that is so inspired by that time, especially in the, okay, you're dropping into a city for two days. You have to make the most of it because you're going to be on a ship for 14 or whatever it is. And now it has made me love long weekends because I know how to go in, see what I want to see, know that I can come back and then come home. Rachel, how much did you travel around Europe when you were in Spain? I went to probably 10 different countries um, in six months, which doesn't seem like that much, but a lot of my travel was throughout Spain. But one of the best parts of studying abroad is feeling like you need to go out and travel every single weekend, um, or at least see something new. Whereas I feel like if you're staying in college, you get in your rhythm and you do the same thing every weekend. And this studying abroad really forces you to get out and see places that you're probably not going to have the opportunity to see again, at least at this age in your life. But yeah, I remember on Thursday night, we'd be like, we should go to Morocco this weekend. We should go to Germany. It's Oktoberfest. And we <laughs> could book it, a flight for 30 euros on Ryanair. We had no luggage. We were fine with staying in 20 euro night hostels which today I would never ever do that. <laughs> but we just didn't have a care in the world. And at that age, it was like, this is heaven. 
On the other side, one of the um, women in the Women Who Travel Facebook group, Maddie, had mentioned that she had done a program in Morocco, and you actually couldn't leave the country while you were on this program, which what she was the said... the reason behind that? I no. think it was just that you... Sorry, I know Maddie's not here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would imagine that it was some sort of like, okay, we want you guys to stay here. So when, when we were on... Our trip, we could only go to certain countries nearby if we were to leave thing. it all. Exactly, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which was what our thing was: was that you know if we they drop you off in Belgium, you could only go to France or whatever yeah. if you won because it was like you could get back from there if you needed to in a short amount of time. But I'm sure it was a, a visa thing or just a we want you to focus on being here, mm-hmm. um, which she said was great because it was a full immersion in Morocco, and she felt like she could really focus on being there and then added three weeks on to the end of her trip to be able to travel around and backpack around Europe. And she was saying that she saved so much money by actually staying in Morocco for that, like her actual program Mm -hmm. and then having all that money to spend when she went around Europe later because she didn't feel like she had to go zip around. She could go to, you know, Casablanca or she could go to Marrakesh or whatever, but it wasn't like, okay, I need to pay for an Oktoberfest ticket and I need to get a flight and I need to do all this stuff. Yeah, I spent all my money. (laughs) All of it. Well, that immersion's interesting. I feel like half and half of the students I talked to, my friends, um, half went and just hung out with other Americans and the other half ignored the Americans and only hung out with locals. Do the second thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do the second thing. But I do want to just say that um, there were a lot of American study abroad um, Lale has the other my, has the other side of all university. the drunk people, and there was one guy who became so immersed in Scotland, <laughs> which is where my university was, that within three weeks he started speaking with a Scottish accent. No. Oh. Was the most cringeworthy laughable thing ever. Oh. oh my god, everyone just rinsed him. I mean, I hope he, he must look back now like Madonna. And just yeah. it was or Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, don't be that so American be study abroad kid. <laughs> no, but like if you have a chance to live in a dorm with other locals, live in that dorm. You know, if there are, I, I joined the basketball team. We had, I had some of the best times playing basketball in a country that doesn't really, that plays netball. And so looking like a baller. I, <laughs> Not tall. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Let's just say I'm a point guard. Yeah. <laughs> but we had a great time and I go out drinking. We'd have beers, you know, they make me stand on tables and be like the little my nickname was little seppo (laughs) which any of my friends if you end up listening to this (laughs) you can laugh at me but um everywhere in australia they abbreviate so little seppo do you have any guess at what it's short for no 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 okay it's septic tank that rhymes with yank and i was little so of course they would squish it up into seppo yep (laughs) americans were seppos i was a little so australian (laughs) (laughs) you can like hear them yelling (laughs) (laughs) no but i think that's such a good point because i think that especially when you're on a program like i had studied abroad on a summer program at at another university in london and i never once thought oh i'll join a club or i'll join a whatever it was i was like oh i'll just hang out Granted, it was like right after my freshman year, so I think I was at my most naive. Um, but I like I had never thought about okay, I'll join this to meet other people, not even other Brits or whatever, but other people who are studying here um, to make friends. Because I just kind of bubbled up with uh, the well, other it's like guys. Irony of ironies too. I left in a kind of a huff at the end of my sophomore year because I felt overcommitted. And I, like you said, Rach, you kind of get in a routine and you don't really break out of the routine. I broke out as 
fiercely as I could and went to the other side of the world. And, and then, then joined teams. Rejoined. <laughs> <laughs> I became a joiner again. <laughs> you can change your place, but not yourself. Right, right exactly. <laughs> and I think, Rachel, you made a good point earlier about like re-entry being so interesting. Like, I remember coming back and even though I wound up having this incredibly crazy semester um, that left me kind of dazed and confused, but coming back and it was like, everyone was still doing the exact same thing as mm -hmm. they had been doing, like going mm -hmm. to the same football games and the same like Tuesday night tap party or whatever. <laughs> and I had had a little FOMO, like, oh, everyone's gonna like have moved on. And, and I just felt like, oh my God, I had this incredible experience and you guys are just doing the same thing. And I also feel like those memes of like that person who comes back from study abroad and is like, oh my God, let me tell you about this time that I was in this place. It's true. Oh, like yeah. It's fair. And no one's going <laughs> to no really one give a shit about your story. <laughs> um, but I think for me, I was one, the blondest in Tannis that I will ever be in my entire life because <laughs> I studied outside every single day. But it was so weird because I had been stuck. And I think this is true regardless of whether or not you're on a ship. But I had been stuck with the same people for four months in a very enclosed space. And to think that none of us were ever gonna all be in the same place again was like so crazy because I wasn't on a program with people from my university. Um, there were five of us from SMU that were there, but everyone was from all over. And it kind of provided the opportunity for me to have all of those like Facebook friends spread out all over the place because I went on a program that wasn't through my college because we all came back and everyone we knew was everywhere else. Mm -hmm. Do you love being on the water now as a result? Do you hate it? Um, so it is my one and only cruising experience. And I think that will skew all cruises forever and ever, mostly because my expectations are really weird. Um, <laughs> but I now find it really calming to be on the water. Um, and I find it easier to fall asleep than anywhere else. Hmm. But I think that it just, you know, with my program, it was a lot of like really, really fast. So drop into the country, um, be in South Africa for six days and then be at sea for 14 days crossing the Atlantic Ocean. And those like super calm sea days were like, okay, you're in the, like truly in the middle of the ocean. So much so that like a scientist is on your ship because no one sails this path between Cape Town and Buenos Aires and is like dropping things into the ocean to like <laughs> check for, uh, yeah, to see where the currents go because they don't know. Um, and that was like so humbling and kind of this like absolutely crazy. That experience is never going to happen again. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be in the middle of the Caribbean and be like, oh, look, there's another island from your cruise ship. But I think it's so rare to be able to say I was in the middle of the Atlantic, the southern part. Right. Yeah. Do you, how hard is it to sign up for a semester at sea? Did you have to go um, through your school at all or? <laughs> um, it depends no. on your school. So some schools have like a very strict program. I know University of San Diego, like you have to apply through the school because so many people want to go. So they'll only let a num certain number of people go. Um, I had to actually drop out of school for a semester. Wait, what? And Wait, then rejoin because it wasn't like an approved program through my university. So. I, it, on my transcript, it looks like I dropped out, went to UVA for a semester, and then came back because at the time the school was through UVA. They're professors from all over, but they have to get vetted and approved by the University of Virginia. Now it's through uh, Colorado State University, but basically my school didn't approve because I think there's a past 
uh, reputation of Semester at Sea being kind of a really rowdy party vibe and just know that you can have two drinks a night, uh, one at 5 and one at 10 p.m. So do not expect uh, to be drinking a lot on this ship. <laughs> it's for safety reasons. Um, I love that they space it out. I know. Five hours. <laughs> Let me just tell you, like they make all these jokes that it's basically like a retirement home. Like dinner is at 5 p.m. Like you eat at 5. And then I watched more movies on Sister at Sea than I have ever in my entire life because everyone brings a, there's like basically no Wi-Fi. Um, you get, it's the one time in college you're ever going to be able to use Wikipedia as a source because they basically have it on a server and it's like the only access to the <laughs> internet you have. Um, so everyone brings big hard drives full of maybe potentially illegally downloaded movies and then just shares them. So we would cram as many people as possible into a like two bunk room and watch movies like every single night after the lectures or whatever it was that we had that night. Would you study all day, all night, weird hours? Uh, no, I mean, we would have class kind of like a normal college in- environment, like between nine and three. So you might have like two classes one day. We had that sort of like A, B schedule. Mm-hmm. And then on like super long stretches of sailing, we would have like one weekend day because usually they treated, like we wouldn't have days off um, because those days off would be like in the country. I have two questions. Go for it. Shoot. Um, When you would have, you know, a couple of days in a city, Mm -hmm. were you still sleeping on the ship? Um, You could if you wanted to. Okay. You had to make sure, this is going to sound really terrible, but you had to make sure you came back relatively sober because they would right, make you do. There was no, yes, there was no curfew. You could come okay. back whenever you wanted. It was basically just like if you were going home. So you could sober up. And yes. Then. Yeah. Um, that was what the port terminal building was for. Um, <laughs> this is so different from my study. Well, no, but experience. like you could also you could also not. You could leave the city or stay in a hotel or a hostel or whatever mm-hmm. it was. So you were truly free to go off. And you do the, you had no, you know, for every class there was one day on land in some city where you had to spend the whole day with that class. So it was like your field trip. So for my marine biology class in Spain, we went um, whale watching in the Strait of Gibraltar. In my literature class, we did like a bunch of World War II stuff in Germany. So I think it, it just, you know, those are your only responsibilities. But other than that, you are literally like, as long as you make it back to the ship on time, like you're free completely free to do whatever you want. I'm not sure if I'd have been responsible enough to get to the ship on time. And if you Knowing don't, then I think has anyone missed travel it? records? So they, so <laughs> on my ship, they only, we only left one person behind. Um, <laughs> uh, and it was in Argentina and he had missed his flight back to Buenos Aires from Patagonia and there were no flights available left, but the Dean of Students was like at the airport and was trying to help. So they knew he was there. His roommate packed him a bag, which they left like at the port. And then he had to find his way to Rio in the next two days before we got there. But because he was only missing two days of class, that was okay. If he had missed the ship in Cape Town and missed 14 days of class, he would have had to go home. But if you're only, I mean, not, you shouldn't do it. But if you were only going to be gone missing two days, you know, it was your responsibility to get back to the ship. But he flew to Rio, spent a night there and then met us the next morning. So you do, I mean, that's another point of this, too. You have to be quasi-responsible. You have to actually be responsible. And, I mean, that's the thing with the the difference between, I think, Semester at Sea and most other programs. Like, what Rachel is saying is that, like, you actually, you know, 
the trick was that they would, you know, your friends would put, if you were really drunk, your friends would put your ID card in your hand and the right way was supposed to be swiped and you would swipe in and you would just go straight to your room. Um, but there were security guards and you had to get um, your bags scanned and you got a pat down every time you came on board because you couldn't bring any liquids on and you couldn't bring any like other alcohol on, on board. And if they suspected that you were like over, they did a breathalyzer test after they did their little like walk the line, say the alphabet, all that sort of stuff. And if you were over the U.S. legal driving limit, then you what got sent to what we called the drunk tank and had to sit there until you were underneath the limit and you got charged $100. Your parents got charged yeah, $100. Yeah. Um, so they knew that you had been drunk tanked and it's a, it was a three-strike policy. What country's drinking limit did you... Like, was it 18? Was it 21? No, so it's international waters is 18. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so that's why you could have two drinks a night yeah. on the ship. Yes, on the ship. Yeah. You could have fun with dinner, and then we had pub nights where you would get like a little tiny little tiny glass of wine or a, a can of beer. Could you gamble in international water? <laughs> <laughs> we did not have a casino a on board. craps game going. <laughs> Wait, so Rachel and Laura, you both had, and Alex, I assume it, was, it would have been the same for India as well. I'm assuming you were not 21 then. Yep. The you left America and then suddenly you could drink. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you go, like, <laughs> or my first drink? <laughs> yeah. Never had one before. <laughs> wink, wink, wink. Was it a disaster? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, a, nothing terrible happened, but being able to truly live on your own for the first time, completely separate from the feeling you get of living on your own in a college dorm, was incredible. I mean, I felt completely immersed in Spanish society and honestly got home at 5 a.m. pretty much every day of the week. <laughs> so that part was so fun and I, it was something only a 20-year-old could do. But looking back, that was like how I met all of my Spanish friends um, out at the discotecas <laughs> and just drinking wine and doing siesta hour and all of that immersion was like the best way to be a Spaniard really. Yeah you kind of you tag along with whatever everyone else is doing so I, I took Tuesday nights off um, and <laughs> Monday nights were at the hip hop club and <laughs> Wednesday nights were like a dorm party and um, I definitely like, like we said I definitely gained weight just from beer because there was mm -hmm. no light beer in Australia. <laughs> light just meant less alcohol and it was a lot of beer um, but it was I don't know. It was my first time in a what I thought was a huge city because I had grown up in suburban New Jersey and went to college in suburban New Jersey. And I lived, you know, close enough that I could have gone to the New York City, the city, I almost said, mm -hmm. um, a lot. But I didn't. Not at that point. Not yet. You know, and this Melbourne was, oh, my God, I, I went out and I went to concerts and museums and I just like ate up the city and then went outside and covered as much of the East Coast as I could because I mean it's a huge country but you don't stop moving like you said you just you have to you you have to do as much as you can you feel like you're on borrowed time kind of borrowed time because you're by yourself yeah and mm -hmm. when you're by yourself on the other side of the world you really feel independent so, so where did you go outside of Melbourne oh um farther south along the Great Ocean Road because I had friends who had you know, the family homes along there. So we did road trips, did all the way up Sydney, that extreme adventure I talked about, took me all the way up to the Barrier Reef. 
We did a sailing trip around the Whitsunday Islands where we would stay on a boat overnight a couple nights and then go on these, there's this beach, Whitehaven Beach, which is one of the most beautiful in the world. I think we rank it that, but it is, the sand is so fine, it's made of silica and it like squeaks as you walk on it. It's Mm. unreal. And um, I went all the way north to a place called Cape Tribulation. It was at the end of that trip. And we stayed in this like divey hostel right on the beach and there were crocodiles. And I think I heard a gunshot that night. And at that point I was like, I'm going home. (laughs) Not home, home, Melbourne home. But that's as far as I went. I didn't do the Outback or Perth, but I felt like I had to leave something for my next trip. And it's kind of unreal to think that I could have a next trip to the other side of the world. I've been back three or four times since and visited friends. I still have friends there. I keep up really well with um, Facebook is amazing. Mm-hmm. They all had Hotmail accounts at the time, so I don't know anyone's email anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it, it opens up like this idea that it's feasible. And a lot of times, I mean, most of my friends on Semester at Sea were doing it with their own money. And it, it opens up the idea really early on that like you can actually do this and afford it and travel as much as you want just if you plan right. Well, and you, I mean, luckily my dollar went farther where I went. I'm sure in India, did you just, <laughs> how much of India did you do in those months? I, mean, I, I went, went up some and of down. your favorite places were. Well, mm-hmm. I did do uh, this 52-hour train ride <laughs> from <laughs> New Delhi all the way down to Cochin in Kerala. Um, and that was intense. I mean, what I, I, I feel like I got out of that travel was I also had like a lonely planet guide that, you know, you just like highlight and you circle and then you get rid of parts of it that you don't need to schlep around anymore. You sort of leave them city after city. But actually feeling competent to sort of plan like how long you need in each place and how you're going to get from here to there. And, and you know, this was before GPS and your phone, obviously. So how to then find the hotel or the youth hostel in the new city. And all of that was like... So I think why I love the show, The Amazing Race, because it's like, it's a game, it's a puzzle, but you know, it's like you can like slay at it, you know. So I loved what I love. Well, I did love Caroline. I just went back there this year for the first time in a couple decades, um, <laughs> and um, it's just a beautiful. It's like a kind of like a sort of gentle social environment. It's like formerly, it's kind of still communist, but it's also Christian and very literate society. It's on the ocean, on the Indian Ocean, but then um, it's just like a very sort of marshy canal crisscrossed area with these beautiful wooden boats and houseboats. And it was very rural and agricultural, um, but I just loved it. And it just felt like easier than some of the like the noise and the chaos up north where you just feel like constant sensual assault you know like the the sounds and the smells and the colors and the craziness and so I felt like that was a great refuge just be on the beach there with like phosphorescence in front of you and (laughs) mellow out a little bit and I also since I I was truly interested in Buddhism at a certain point just not so intensely (laughs) as my 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 fellow students um I went up to Dharamsala where the Dalai Lama is based, met him, met a, this was a crazy experience, a three-year-old Lama. You know how they're <laughs> reincarnated and then they are, they're identified um, as children? No. And there was this like three-year-old little Lama sitting there like cross-legged blessing people. I mean, I'm thinking my kids when they were three years old. I mean, they were just like, <laughs> sit still I for mean- a second, throwing <laughs> food and whatever. And this, he was speaking allegedly like Pali, which is like a dead like an ancient language. It was so like wow. surreal and crazy. Um, I lived with a the family there. So I do think like, even though at that point I was off the 
study abroad program, but those programs that like allow you to sort of go native, <laughs> so to speak, right. and not just like go around with a posse of Americans. I think you just, you just get so much more out of that. How did you find the family that you lived with? I think in a cafe. <laughs> no, you did yeah. not. You well, just struck I mean, up conversation exactly, in English? Yeah. Or? yeah. But and you were like, like, I have I've done that all along. I do feel like I'd actually traveled a, quite a bit on my own before that. And one of my favorite trips was Ireland, where everyone is so friendly to Americans. It's a rare country where they're like, they're more Irish in America than Ireland. So it's just, you mm. felt. And I remember like striking up a conversation with a, you know, a couple in a pub. And then they invited me to like stay in their house. And I did, you know, I was also like 18 and just naive and whatever. And it turned out fine. But that, you know. It's a way to do it. <laughs> I think that was the best part of my study abroad was living with a, my host mother. Like just her, she cooked every single meal for us. So we were expected to be home every night. Well, that's a just nice like, mom. Yeah. I don't do that. We had dinner <laughs> at 9 p.m. every night, which was always just like an incredible seafood lavish meal that I would never have been able to even get at like a tapas restaurant. And I'm actually going back to Sevilla for the first time since studying abroad in November. So oh. it's been like eight years. And um, my host mother's daughter was pregnant when I was leaving. So now their child must be eight years old. So it's just like a crazy experience to be able to go back, see this family that was really my family for six months. And now they have grown so much. And so have I. And it's like a great like coming together story. <laughs> have you, have you kept beautiful. up with them? Not really. We've we wrote some letters, but without digital communication, like on Facebook. She wasn't on Facebook, so I think it kind of like made it hard to keep up communication. Are you gonna stay? Are you gonna do a homestay? Not gonna do a homestay, <laughs> but I'm gonna try to go over for dinner. The seafood feast. Oh yeah, <laughs> just like old times. Oh, that's amazing. Lala, you got any other questions for us? Burning questions? I do have one, another burning question for Alex because I just want to know like, everything about <laughs> this six months in India, which is um, when was the first time after you made your like midnight exit and left mm -hmm. the note and went up to New Delhi where you like, did I make a mistake? <laughs> or did it not happen? I don't think I regretted it for a second. I mean, I just had this fantasy of what India would be and could be, and I just want to get the hell out of that monastery. <laughs> so I would think I was probably a little scared, but I didn't, I feel like my motivation to like prove that I like was doing the right thing overrode that fear, you know? And so I just sort of took out a map and just planned all the places I was going to go. But I do, as a mother now, teenagers <laughs> yeah. cannot yeah. believe that I didn't alert my parents <laughs> that I was traveling or I'd left the program I was traveling around India. So I hope my children are more <laughs> are like more respectful. In hindsight, do you, Rachel or Laura, have anything you wish you would have done differently on your trip? I loved my trip and it kind of made me to a degree who I am today. I packed really poorly. <laughs> yeah. I, I packed like one, baseline. <laughs> big, one big bag of like everything I owned. And I think I wore six things and I wore them all out and I had to chuck most of my clothes and I ended up buying a lot in Australia because I like the style better in Melbourne than when I'd been buying at whatever, like anthropology, I don't know. <laughs> no, that was back in the day. Uh, whatever it was, Aeropostale. <laughs> and I... I think I wished I had um, just packed nothing, you know, like enough for two weeks and then maybe a little bit of budget to buy things that felt of the place I was in. That's a good tip. 
I wish I had been more responsible. I think like, <laughs> it is a good learning lesson living on your own for the first time, like we said. But I feel like there were a lot of... I got myself into some weird situations where if I had like looked out for myself, maybe I wouldn't have had my purse stolen or my cell phone stolen, that kind of thing. Um, it's weird because in New York, I never feel like that's an issue, but in like the safest, one of the safest cities in the world, and I just was like, la-di-da, living life, and then you're like, nope, <laughs> you need to be brought back down to earth. Um, I wish I had paid more attention, but I wouldn't have changed a thing. And again, I feel like Laura said, it made me who I am today. I think on this podcast, I've talked about my real experience like far too many times, and Megan's going to get mad at me if I talk about it again. But I think that I wish that I would have spent more time traveling with less people, mm -hmm. um, which is true of my previous study abroad in London as well. I think that it's best to experience when you actually have the like autonomy and ability to like make decisions. And when you're traveling with like eight of or 15 or 20 of your closest friends, like that's not going to happen. So like three person max when you're going on these like Oktoberfest trips or whatever it is, or being at least comfortable breaking off. I think when I was traveling in a group back then, I didn't know that I had the like awareness to be able to be like oh like you guys are going to go do that I don't want to do that so I'm going to go do this I was just like oh okay I'll go do that yeah you don't know that you can like be selfish yeah and so I think I wish I had been yeah more selfish and a lot of the places I went it was like a in my mind a once in a lifetime opportunity not mm -hmm. necessarily a once in a lifetime trip but a once in a lifetime opportunity to do something that I wanted to do um and I wish I had taken up myself up on more of those. That's interesting though, because at that point in your life, it is that transition where you're used to running with a pack mm -hmm. and you are defining who you are, right? And you might want to run solo and go to this park in Paris and eat all the croissants you want by yourself, you know, whatever it is. So I think that's a hard thing to break out of too. But it's important that you say that. It's good to encourage other people to think about that. When I think we talk about, especially when it comes to solo travel, I know we've said it a bunch on this podcast, but like, you know, confidence, even faking it, is like key to just being like, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do the things I want to do and I'm going to go sit at the bar by myself and I'm going to make friends with these strangers. And I think a lot of times, especially when you're, you know, trying to figure things out for yourself or who you are, whatever it is, like that's a lot easier said than done. But I think at that point, I had the ability to fake it versus now where I actually feel it. But I think that I wish I had like been like, you know what? We're just going to go outside today and <laughs> do something totally crazy. Mm -hmm. um, because, yeah, there are a few places like Rio where I now have a really skewed idea of a place because I had this experience where I didn't get to do the stuff that I wanted to. I think a corollary of that is is this sort of you develop this sense of like stranger danger alert where you 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 put yourself out there in a way more than you do at home or in college and to sort of force yourself to be open to new experiences and new people but there's always that point where you're like can i trust this person like going to stay in somebody's house or whatever and i feel like that i flex that muscle more abroad than i did at home where you're just going to stick with your pals and so you sort of put yourself out there and you develop like an instinct for like who to trust and who not to trust and and you know it's it's really about self-reliance in a way right and that's kind of the gist of travel it's what yeah. we talk about a lot right it's putting yourself forcing yourself outside of comfort zones that you've created and 
teaching yourself how to just live. Yeah. I have another one. Go I wish for I had it. kept a blog. I wish I had done some sort of diary that was like a weekly roundup of everything I did. For yourself or for others? For myself. I mean, I'm, I probably would have shared it with my family, but I wish I would, it'd be so fun to go back and read that eight years later and see what I was doing like on this week, eight years ago. I don't, I you keep like a very, I have like a Shinola diary that I just literally keep like, okay, today I did these three things or this is where I went. I don't write out like, these are my innermost thoughts. <laughs> but when I was studying abroad, I did. And I kept like a full yeah. like, this is the drama that happened today. Like I have a full list of all the movies we watched. I have like, you know, all of these thoughts that were going through my head that I don't think I had ever like put down on paper. And going back and reading them, I'm like cringe, but also <laughs> like I'm so glad that I was so honest because it, again, it just shows me like how far, even in those like four months, I grew in confidence and in like friend making skills. <laughs> and um, I'm like, even though no one else will ever see it, I'm really glad that I kept a journal, period. <laughs> <laughs> Any other tip tips? Now that you mention it, my um, husband, when we lived in Singapore, kept uh, sent an email to the family every week mm -hmm. and those emails had everywhere we had been so we now have itineraries for all of southeast asia because he sent those emails that's amazing that's wow. another thing that's something to think that about if you're great. if you're going around yeah. i didn't do that i wasn't that organized i'm not that organized now no. <laughs> it's like my job yeah. <laughs> um no but i think that you know in in 2018 you know keeping a google map with all the pins of everywhere you've been which is how i travel now like those are so special for me, looking back at these trips that I've taken recently, that, you know, it's one of those things that might come in handy for future study broaders to take advantage of. Yeah. Okay, so you can't probably find photos from most of our trips online, though mine are definitely on Facebook. Hell they, no. You can scroll really far back in my Instagram if you want to find these pictures um, from Semester at Sea. But you can find me at oh hey there Mare on Instagram and Twitter. You can find Lale. At Lale Hannah on Instagram. And Laura. At Laura underscore Redman. Rachel. At Rachel E. Coleman. And Alex. At Word Mover. Amazing. You can read a bunch of stories about study abroad and about first trips, a package that Lale put together of both people who went abroad when they were in their early 20s, when they went abroad for the first time in their 60s, all sorts of good stuff. Highly recommend reading Mark Elwood's piece on late travel boomers. It um, will bring a tear to your eye. <laughs> <laughs> but you can find it all on cntraveler.com. You can also follow along on Instagram at cntraveler. Twitter is under the same handle. And you will hear from us next week. <laughs>